Westminster Confession. We're going to be looking at chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper. Chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death. The sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Okay, so there's a lot there. This represents the sacrifice of himself and his death as the principal thing. And all those other things are there. That's the crowning element. That's the piece it's focused on. Now, it's a bond. It's a it's an external covenant marker and pledge of believers' communion with Christ and with each other as members of his mystical body. What does mystical body mean? His mystical body means spiritual body in the sense of like its body and spirit sort of both, even though they're mutually exclusive categories. No. His mystical body mean ununderstandable body? No. Mystical is related to the word mystery, and when we talk about mysteries in the Bible, they all mean something that was hidden that's now revealed. His mystical body, so this body that's been revealed, this group of people that are united to Christ, the church. Section 2, in this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sins of the quicker dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all time, by the way. Not all persons. Once for all. And a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that the Popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one and only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of his elect. Christ's death was a once-for-all time payment for all of the sins of all of the elect. We are remembering that. We are remembering that sacrifice. Section three. The Lord Jesus has, in this ordinance, appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they, communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Being present with the congregation is an essential part of the Lord's Supper. So private masses, private communion takes away a sacramental element because the communion with each other is a part of it. 
the acts that are done, praying and blessing the bread and wine, the taking and breaking, the taking of the cup, the giving of both. These are all sacramental actions. You cannot give. There's no giving to be had if there's nobody else to give it to. Four. Private masses or receiving the sacrament by a priest or any other alone as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration and the reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of the sacrament and to the institution of Christ. The bread is not holy as soon as we are done using it for the sacramental actions. The wine is not holy as soon as we are done drinking it for the sacramental actions. They are holy for the time when the sacramental actions are occurring. Which is why you can give them away or pour them out or throw it out afterwards. And to worship it is gross idolatry. Five. The outward elements in the sacrament, duly set apart to the uses ordained by Christ, have such relation to him crucified as that truly yet sacramentally only. They are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent to wit the body and blood of Christ. Albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. So the relationship, a sacramental relationship is the representation and the reality. That's the relationship. It's about a sign and the reality. And so you can refer to the sign as the thing. But the sign is not the reality. So the bread, we can talk about it being the body of Christ because it's a sign for the body of Christ. But it's not literally, physically, the body of Christ. It has not been transformed into the body of Christ. It does not have the body of Christ in, with, under, about, swirling around it. It's a sacramental connection, which means it's a representational connection. Six, that doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest, or by any other way, is repugnant not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason. Overthrows the nature of the sacrament and has been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Okay, So the Scripture clearly doesn't teach this. It teaches the commemoration view. If you just analyze the definition of a sacrament, where a sacrament is a sign that represents something, and then you say the thing it represents it actually literally is, you destroy the difference between a sign and the reality. And so that's why it says it overthrows the nature of the sacrament. When you say the sacrament is the thing it represents, you're saying this isn't a sacrament, it's just the thing it represents. And so it doesn't represent it, it's just that. It is that. It's that thing. This is the thing. Right? A sacrament's a sign. So it's a logical absurdity to say that the sign is the reality. It destroys the difference. Seven. 
Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in with or under the bread and wine, yet are really, but spiritually, present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Okay, so how can we really and indeed and really but spiritually feed upon Christ, but not corporally, not carnally, not corporally and not carnally? So the problem is that we are so empirically minded that we tend to think if I can't feel it or bite it, it's not real. So you just go, I need something here that I can do something with that like I can grab. And so if I'm not able to grab, then I'm not actually partaking of Jesus. Reality is principally thought. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He doesn't have a body. Is God real? He's more real than anything else. No touching. More real than anything else. Okay? So then, spiritually partaking of Christ, by faith, sacramentally, these words should be adding up. We partake of Christ by thinking truth about Christ, and our souls are nourished by the bread of heaven when we think upon Christ. That's the body of Christ that we're partaking of. The reality of Christ in his humanity, his body and his blood, we partake of those really when we do it by faith. When we believe while partaking in the outward elements, we are nourished in the inward man. We take the sign and the reality is enjoyed by the soul. Eight, although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the thing signified thereby. Okay, so we talk about the real presence of Christ in Calvinism. The real presence of Christ is not consubstantiation. It's not transubstantiation. It's he's really present by faith. When you are believing, that's the reality in your mind. It's not just a representation. Representation is the bread and wine. The reality is in your mind. It's been given to us. It's been revealed to us. We're caused to understand and believe it by the Holy Spirit. That's why truth is so important. And we're sanctified by truth. And truth, the knowledge of the truth, is everlasting life. Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in the sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby. They take the covenant signs, so they get plenty of curse. But they don't get the reality. But by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table 
and cannot without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted thereunto. Holy mysteries. What are mysteries? Mysteries are things that were hidden that are now revealed. And these holy mysteries are things that used to be hidden and now have been revealed. When were they revealed? In the new covenant. We have the new administration of the covenant of grace. So we have these things that were hidden and they've replaced the types and shadows. Comments, questions, objections from the voting members and those with speaking rights. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. We ask that you would bless us both out of Proverbs and in consideration of the sacrament that is about to be enjoyed. We ask that you would bless it and that you would cause us to be much benefited by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.